You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Mark, it's uh, Sunday morning, morning, September 27th. Good morning. And we're very excited to be joined by a special guest this Sunday, our partner and former Virginia Attorney General, Jerry Kilgore from our state attorney general practice. Jerry, welcome. Great to be with you all. Excited to be here on a Sunday morning. Good to have you, Jerry. I was just saying to Howard, this may be uh, jumping the agenda, but uh, I was just saying that I look forward to having a former attorney general on, a Republican no less, to talk about the rule of law in this country. Awesome. But but we'll save that for Howard's agenda. (laughs) Why don't we save that? So, guys, last night, uh, President Trump nominated um, federal appeals court judge Amy Coney Barrett to um, the Supreme Court. Jerry, what uh, effect do you think this has on the presidential race or the Senate races for that matter? Well, I, I think a lot of it depends upon how the Democrats treat Amy Coney Barrett and what the, what the hearing process is going to be going forward. I do uh, remind everyone of the Kavanaugh hearings. And during the Kavanaugh hearings, there were several close elections in swing states uh, during that, uh, during the 18 elections. And the way Kavanaugh was treated, I mean, ensured that the Republicans just broke away in those states that were close and picked up, you know, senators like Hawley in Missouri. Uh, They defeated Conley in, in Indiana. Donnelly in Indiana. So, and on and on, the, those hearings affected those Senate races, I believe, much more than the House races. As you know, the Democrats went on to take the House uh, uh, in royal fashion in 18, but they didn't take the Senate. And in fact, the Republicans built upon the majority in the Senate. So, I think a lot's going to depend on how the Democrats treat Amy Coney Barrett. And she's a She's a phenomenal nominee, and I, I say this uh, from the conservative. The conservatives in the party were have been awaiting this moment forever. They wanted her instead of Kavanaugh in eighteen. They got Kavanaugh, but they wanted Amy Coney Barrett because she brings to the table something that just fires up the conservative base in the Republican Party. Mark, how did Democrats walk that fine line between? activism, but not over overdoing it? Well, we're off to uh, a cordial start because I have to agree with what Jerry had to say. Um, I don't necessarily share his celebration of her appointment, but I, I do agree that how Democrats conduct this process could, could potentially impact of the election, and it may, in fact, as Jerry says, have have done so in some close Senate races in 2018. I think, Howard, that what uh, we Democrats have to recognize is is a couple of things. Uh, The moment uh, Justice Ginsburg tragically took her last breath, this seat was gone. The Republicans, notwithstanding all of the rhetoric and the hypocrisy and the rest, the the seat was gone. They were always going to do this. 
And it's it's done. We should not be treating this as a fight we can win. We should be treating this as a fight where we have important points to make. But the important event is the election, not this nomination, because the nomination ha- has already. Succeeded. Yeah, but how do you how do you express how, how do you express outrage that a lot of Democrats are feeling because of the hypocrisy, you, but not go too far and and kind of deliver the message that elections have consequences, and if you if you care, go to the ballot box figuratively or literally speaking and and yeah vote do it you just did you just i did that's what we need that's what we need to do we shouldn't be attacking the person we should be attacking the process we shouldn't be over attacking the process and threatening all sorts of extraordinary action come january we should be talking about november 3rd and we should get the focus back on exactly what you said this is a consequence of an election and all that matters is winning this next election and so far i i will say a little bit a little bit to my surprise so far it it just doesn't seem to have moved the needle everybody is entrenched people are voting for that matter I and mean, jerry's completely right that a a bad performance by the Democrats could influence some close races, except that the performance by the Democrats, the hearings, the confirmation are all taking place in context where every day people are already voting. So I I think this is a hugely consequential appointment for the court, but a, a less huge consequence for the election. Jerry, it seemed to me like from watching interviews, including I saw Bob Casey yesterday on, it was either MSNBC or CNN, um, MSDNC, I should say, or CNN. I, I hit the message on healthcare, which has been, I think, at the top of the list of issues that voters care about across, you know, across all voters. Um, the message on healthcare was was very strong. The Democrats' message that this was a healthcare vote, not just a judicial appointment. Um, how do the Republicans counter that message? What's the message that you think Republicans need to deliver uh, to bring some of those independent voters over to their side in, in the uh, election? You know, I think we've been weathering this pre existing condition argument from the Democrats that we're going to take away pre-existing condition. We're going to end Obamacare. We're going to take away health care. And that's just never, we're sort of used to it. And that's not, the the Republicans have to get out and message where they are. I mean, we've nominated a candidate who has a child with pre-existing condition, who has a special needs child. And I think it's going to be hard pressed for the Democrats to paint her as a person that's going to take away health care in this country when she's sitting there with seven children. The one person there that needs good health care is, is Amy Coney Barrett. And I, I just think that's going to fall flat. I, I do, uh, you know, the Twitter feeds I'm reading uh, show me that uh, Biden's going to have a hard time controlling the left, if you will, just like, uh, you know, Republicans have a 
hard time controlling the right from, from the right on, the right being the president in that sense, right? <laughs> you know, getting on getting on on Twitter and 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 saying outlandish things about uh, Amy yeah. Coney Barrett from from the adoption issue in Haiti to her Catholicism. I mean, those are just not issues. If they get into the mainstream, are going to backfire on the Democrats. So I hope we don't go there, but. Unfortunately, I'm afraid some on the left want to go there. Well, it's interesting to me in her speech yesterday, she paid a lot of respect to Justice Ginsburg, who, by the way, Mark, did this country. I mean, I love her, but she did this country a disservice. She did the I should say she did the liberal wing of the Supreme Court a disservice. By staying as long as she did, she should have retired when Obama was president. If she wanted to preserve that seat on the Supreme Court, she had a chance to do so. And wait, 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 wait. You mean she should have retired before the last year of Obama's administration? And we don't know what the McConnell rule rule, of course, is a joke because there is no rule. We, we you don't know at, you don't here. know at which point McConnell why you don't because, know at which point McConnell would have given her a hearing because but, when you've had but why well, she could have she could have done it before the Senate switched and many people believe that she should have and look everybody's got their ego and and her the last decade of her life was tremendously impactful culturally legally and there's no reason why she should have left in terms of her qualifications or her fitness to serve well, but you know i i think there's an argument here that she should have retired earlier and it's not about mcconnell because she could have retired when there was a senate majority for the democrats a lot a lot of things could have happened that didn't i'm not going to sit here this morning with general uh, kilgore as my uh, colleague talking about what Justice Ginsburg could or or couldn't have done years ago. I want to just note something that Jerry said, because it it is something that that is very upsetting uh, to me and and to a lot of of us on our side. And and it's I get it, Jerry, it's the Twitter sphere and all all the rest. And we shouldn't go down that that sinkhole. It's not a rabbit hole. It's a sinkhole. But this idea that Democrats have been attacking uh, Judge Barrett's Catholicism is so is so anti-factual to me. It's just not true, to put it in simple English. Nobody is attacking her Catholicism. Certainly Bob Casey, a friend and, and a devout Catholic, was not attacking her Catholicism. Certainly Joe Biden is not attacking her Catholicism. What happens, and it's unfortunate, and I'm not going to say it doesn't happen both ways, but what is happening is that the Republicans have invented an attack on her Catholicism by Democrats to, uh, to in turn, attack Democrats for attacking her Catholicism. Let's, let's, be, well, let's but, at least I mean, stick to the facts here. But we do have evidence there. I mean, uh, senators, three senators attacked her Catholicism, brought it into play. Hirono told, told Barrett she was afraid she would be a Catholic judge, whatever that means. Durham, it's a dumb thing to say. 
Durbin asked if she was an Orthodox Catholic. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and then Feinstein says the dogma lives loudly within you. I mean, we have good evidence there to worry about the attack on Catholicism here. I hope it doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. I think it would be a mistake if it happened. So, so guys, before I interrupted my question (laughs) with a monologue, um, I was going to say, I think that Amy Coney Barrett, she was a Scalia clerk, and she said that her judicial philosophy is that of Scalia's. And whether you agree with him or not, I don't think there's a lot of debate with respect to whether he was a um, revered justice, a thoughtful justice, a brilliant justice. And Jerry, is that the reason why conservatives and Republicans are were so behind her as a nominee? What's the what's exactly the because his his law clerks, his people that have worked with Scalia are more predictable conservatives. In, in the sense, w- once they get on the bench, and, and there's a lot of history there, and Scalia trains his clerks well, they 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 think like Scalia, and they write like Scalia. And, and it's amazing. I mean, Scalia's writing on the court, whether you agree or disagree with him, were just amazing. You, you loved it when he wrote a dissent, you know, much more than a majority, because in the dissent, he could be cutting, and he could be, he could be Scalia. And of course, we have our own former Scalia clerk (laughs) among our partners, Stephen Miller from our Philadelphia office and our white collar group, Clerk for Justice Scalia. And if you want to know anything about Justice Scalia, know that once every term, that every term, one of his clerks was somebody who disagreed with him, who came from the from another perspective for purposes of keeping him honest, which is. All you need to know about the man, I don't agree with his, I didn't agree with his outlook on the world or his judicial philosophy. I don't agree with personally, Um, but gosh, you have to respect that. And if she's going to serve in the same mindset and in in the same way, I, you know, Mark, it seems hard to think that she isn't fit for the bench and nobody's really arguing that. And this is going to happen. Agreed. That's what we said last week, uh, two days after uh, Justice Ginsburg died. Agreed. This is going to happen. I I will just say two things about uh, our friend Stephen Miller. One is that he did. By the way, this is the good Stephen Miller. Yes, yes. Let's say Steve Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Not not, not the rock star either, or this is our own Steve Miller. Our own. Our own. But our own Stephen Miller. Uh, reveres Justice Scalia, but withstood the conservative instruction he received at the court and and remains, I I think, still the one clerk who doesn't agree with everything Justice Scalia did. Although I want to just say that Stephen can be stubborn because he clings to his Kentucky basketball obsession so I'm not sure he's the best the best example of a flexible open open mind, but Jerry, let me let me uh, come back to pre-existing conditions, um, if I may, which, which you were offended. Democrats would suggest Republicans want to do away with, 
And it, it isn't so much a question of uh, affirmatively wanting to eliminate that, that prohibition on uh, pre-existing uh, condition exclusions, but what happens the day after the Supreme Court invalidates the entirety of the ACA in a Trump administration and a McConnell Senate? Where, where's the protection? Where's the plan? I do think that the president has demonstrated that, and his administration has demonstrated that they want to ensure health care. Not so much as far as, it doesn't have to be Obamacare, but it has to be plans uh, developed in conjunction with the states to make sure the right, you know, everyone gets coverage that they need, that we are covering poor people, we're covering pre-existing conditions. And I think you'll see an immediate plan from the Trump administration should the court invalidate parts of ACA or all of ACA. Uh, I doubt the court goes that far. I think no one is anticipating that the court will go that far. And most even think that there's a majority even today to uphold and that the uh, challenge to that case would not go forward. So guys, let's pivot. Um, and, and Jerry, before we put the former attorney general of the state of Virginia on the spot to explain the president's lawless rhetoric, um, talk to us about our state AG practice and what you guys have going on. Uh, it's, it's, it's the largest and oldest and most successful practice of, of the, in the state AG space in the country. Tell us about your practice. Well, you've you already said most of the most of the talking <laughs> points there, Howard, which is great that we've been able to talk through the years and work together since I've been here at Cozen. But, you know, it is the state AG group that has reached into all 50 state AGs plus the territories. And as we all know, companies and and are getting investigated constantly by state AGs. State AGs are quickly becoming the most powerful position in any state because you don't have to legislate. You don't have to do things by executive order. You just do things by investigation and litigation and you get the public policy that you want. Great. Well, now that we've uh, had that public service announcement, uh, how do we, this week, the president said, in essence, he would not commit to a peaceful transfer of power. Of course, he said he's going to win, so it doesn't matter. Um, we have to see what happens. He said, yeah, it it's, and look, there's going to be significant legal wrangling over the vote. There is likely if, if the margins are as thin as they were in 2016, given everything going on with mail-in ballots and, and litigation in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and North Carolina, among other places, it's going to be not a long night. It's going to be a long month, but that's different than a commitment to a peaceful transfer of power, which is the hallmark of our democracy. So how do you explain the president's yeah. comments? No, I think where he's coming from is where a lot of Republicans are coming from is we are worried about a fair vote. We're worried about a vote that is uh, that becomes questionable. In Virginia alone, already this week, a thousand over a thousand people have gotten two ballots, not one ballot. They've gotten two ballots. They've requested absentee ballots and they've gotten two. It happened in Fairfax County. It's happened in Southern Virginia as well. 
We all saw what was going on in Pennsylvania. We've seen what's, I grew up. Wait, 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 wait. I, what was going on in Pennsylvania? The non-ballots found in the trash can. That non-ballots were... <laughs> found in the trash can, which the Republican administrators of that county and election said was clerical error and had nothing to do with disrespecting votes for the president whom they support. There are going to be mistakes made. But, you know, I grew up in an area, we call it the fight ninth district of Virginia, where we change congressmen every two to four years, whether we wanted to or not. And, and we had voter, I grew up with voter fraud. My mother was a voter registrar in, in our county for 25 years. And we know, we saw what, what would go on during elections when, when the stakes are high, the stakes are high in this election. So I just want to make sure we have a fair election, that one man, one vote, no more than that. You know, we're, we're against ballot harvesting. That's the ultimate, the ultimate uh, way to uh, influence and, and, and you know, cheat yeah, in an election. Not, well, but Jerry, on. just to there push you on no that, just, so, just, to, just, ahead, just to push you on that, I don't think anybody disagrees that we should have a free and fair election. That's different than when you win the election or lose the election, rather committing to a peaceful transfer of power. So how how can he not answer that question in the affirmative? Oh, I absolutely think there'll be a transfer of power if the if you know if the election's fair and and the president sees it as fair. I, I absolutely think well, that that'll be the case. If the president sees it as fair, is not the standard. It's not up to him. We've all read the Constitution. It doesn't say the president decides whether he was voted in or out, okay? it That's the idea that so outrages Americans, and I believe Americans in, in both parties, a but number it's... of Republican leaders whom I otherwise disagree pretty passionately with have even said that there will be an orderly and peaceful transition of power. Although Lindsey Graham did say, if the Supreme Court says so, at least that's getting closer to the Constitution. No, I, I the think idea that the president gets to decide whether he will leave or not is the most insulting, anti-democratic, and characterological Trump comment. But I will say, let Jerry get a word in edgewise. We can't no, take our saying, eye off the ball. I listen respectfully to Jerry yeah. talk about his mother, and I don't mean <laughs> any of this. This none of this is a an attack on the Kilgore family. No, but I, I think the president played off of uh, Hillary Clinton's first comment about Joe Biden should never concede in this election that she ran. I mean, and he loves to play off of of, of people and and. And we've seen this throughout his career. He, yeah, he wants us all to be talking about this instead of the 200,000 lives lost to COVID, instead of the 20 million jobs lost to the emergency. He, this is what he does brilliantly, and he's doing it again. And I got sucked in for about 30 seconds there, I can see. Let's talk about the I guess election. Let's talk. I don't about agree, Mark. I don't agree. I don't think that's what I don't think he's trying to distract from COVID. I, I think what's going on is a massive voter suppression campaign. 
I think he's trying to yeah, make people yeah. and very intentionally make people feel disenfranchised. Like their votes don't matter because at the end of the day, they're not going to be counted. And he's trying to dissuade people. It's what the whole postal service thing is, in my opinion. It's he's trying to dissuade people from going to the ballot box, figuratively or literally speaking. Agreed. And and I think that's what this is. Not a not this isn't normal Trumpian distraction. This is an attempt to keep people from voting. And I I agree. And I think it is incumbent on all of us who love and and care for the Constitution and the system to make clear that there is going to be an election, that legitimate votes are going to be counted and will count, and that it is actually the people of this country who picked the next president. I think he wants people to vote. I think he's going to these rallies. He's doing four or five rallies a day now. He wants his people yeah, to yeah, vote. Yeah. But we all, in every election, we want our people to vote. Yeah. And, and you but, want your people to vote. But Howard, Jerry, the thing that makes me crazy about this is this isn't just about this country. It's actually about the world. Because... The entire world, and I saw this when I was in government, um, traveling the world for when I was in the Bush administration at the Export-Import Bank, the, the rest of the world watches every single thing we do. And they, they don't care who the president is. They care. They watch the United States of America and they... I mean, we're the, we're like, how can you ever ask some country in Eastern Europe or Southeast Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa to have a free and fair election when our own president can't even commit to a peaceful transfer of power? The rest of the world is watching everything we do and it's, it's killing, it's right. killing the world. Well, I, I think from, from his perspective, he, we've had free and fair elections for most of our entire life i mean you know election here and there that that is challenged and everything but to see all these rule changes in the last 60 days before an election i think that's a big point of contention with lots of conservatives lots of republicans and that's where they're coming yeah um so guys it's uh sunday the debate the first debate is in two two days let's prognosticate a little bit Jerry, what do you expect? What do you expect in the first debate? What's Trump going to do? How does he counter? How does he paint Biden? Is he as aggressive to Biden's face about Sleepy Joe and all that stuff? Trump is going to be Trump in a debate. We all know how he debates. We've seen it over and over again, and he's going to be aggressive. I do think, I don't I do think Joe Biden's going to come in prepared, ready to go. And I don't think it's going to be a knockout debate by any stretch of the imagination. I do think Joe Biden will do very well in this debate. Mark? Well, I think it's hilarious. You got you can't lose your sense of humor, notwithstanding the stakes here. I love how Biden was incompetent, asleep, obviously unfit to stand up let alone serve the country as president until we started getting close to the debate. And now he's prepared and now he's going to come in strong. And now we all expect that he's going to do well in this debate. 
he is going to do well in this debate. He is going to come in prepared. He is going to come in strong. But Republicans had him with a foot in the grave until we closed in a couple of days on the debate. According to Trump, all he has to do is not fall down. If he manages to stay awake, he's, he's cleared Trump's bar. But what I would like to see Joe Biden do is what he has been doing in his recent appearances. And yes, Howard, he's he's left the basement. He's actually yeah. been campaigning. A couple of times. Not not maskless rallies. The, he's had rallies consistent with the public health advice of the Trump administration, ex of the president. But I want to see him mad. I want to see Joe Biden come in and express the anger that he personally feels that his his party that nominated him feels about where this country is, about what has happened to this country. This is Trump's America. And if you don't like the direction we're going in, if you don't think you're better off than you were four years ago, Joe Biden's not the president yet. This is uh, all on Donald Trump. And people are mad about where we are. And I hope that he comes in and, and expresses that anger on behalf of the country. Well, and I hope that uh, the president can find some time to talk about the great economic engine he created until COVID hit. And, and very importantly, talk about the peace in the Middle East that he's, that he's achieved. I think that's such an important aspect of this administration that has been overlooked that the national media isn't covering. And this is his opportunity to talk to the American people about no more I, wars in the Middle East. I, nothing would be better for our side than a foreign policy debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Oh, Mark. Trump. Oh, I, I agree. For my side, it's going to be great if we well, can get into foreign it. policy. Well, it. It's actually a topic I've been intending to bring up on our podcast because I mean, by the way, Jerry, the reason it hasn't been covered is because the same day that, you know, he achieves, he announces a peace agreement between the Israelis and the United Arab Emirates. He goes off on a rant on some something that has nothing to do with it and cuts off his own message. And I've heard that from people currently inside the White House um, that are frustrated with it. But it I mean, he's undercut his own message, but it's actually incredibly extraordinary what's been achieved there, Mark. Like, you can't argue that. You can argue about other foreign policy blunders, um, but it's it's actually incredible. It's like, this is the part of the program, Mark, where you say, give the devil his due. I'm just scripting you a little bit. Okay, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to say that I give Jerry credit for finding the one thing you can say about Trump's foreign policy and headlining it. So well done, General Kilgore. And of course, it's progress. Of course, it's progress. You can ask whether moving the embassy to Jerusalem was progress. It has not been linear. But give, let's give the devil his due, Howard. Well, Mark, and then it, it let's talk hurt. about North Carolina. It didn't, it didn't hurt. It, did, it didn't hurt. And look, I think if you want to have legitimacy, you have to acknowledge the significance of the of the achievements. And moving the embassy to Jerusalem, I don't know. It was like symbolic. It didn't boomerang on anybody. It didn't create some all-out war in the Middle East. And, and by the way, he's drawn down troops overseas 
which is certainly something that people on the left would generally support and something that Obama didn't do. You know, North Korea has been a blunder. He has written love letters to a vicious murderer. He has pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, which had half a chance of saving the planet. I think he's a mess, but you got to acknowledge. I gave the general his due. But but, (laughs) I mean, I mean, for those of us on the conservatives here, I mean, we're we were ecstatic when he pulled out of Paris. I mean, that's amazing for us because we support our and, and look where it's gotten us in energy and energy right there in Pennsylvania, where we are now. We don't depend upon any foreign country for, for energy. And, and the president should talk about those issues, those accomplishments during this debate. I hope he does. I hope he does. We'll see whether he. uh is able for once to stay on message and it's 90 minutes is a long time for him to focus Jerry. I'm not saying he's sleepy. Okay. That's the other guy, according to you, but 90 minutes is a long time for this man to focus, but we will know soon enough. We will know. It's it's hard to believe. We're trying to figure out how they get invisible teleprompters up there for, for (laughs) Biden, but but we shall see. (laughs) So, Guys, it's hard to believe that the election is is five weeks away. Uh, people are voting already. It's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's upon us. It's crazy. It's going to be a crazy couple of months because no one thinks it'll be over on the third. So, well, we should gonna, talk. Going to be wild, next, but we, we will obviously talk debate next uh, week. But let's talk a little next week about what that looks like on November 4th, 5th, 6th, and on. I think that is that is going to be a very interesting and, uh, I fear, a stressful time for this country. Although, as, as I told Howard, Jerry, you'll, you'll appreciate this as a student of history. I told Howard the other day I was going to send him an article on the Tilden Hayes election of 1876. <laughs> we've we've been through a version of this before. Yeah, but I mean, in in 2000, we just had one state, one state only. We could have multiple states this yep. time, and that that would be uh, unheard of. We've never been through that in our country, particularly with social media the way it is today, and your minute by minute uh, updates on what's going on. Well, guys, it's going to be crazy. Jerry, thank you for spending a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. A spirited discussion as always. Thank and, you all. Uh, and we will talk again soon. Thanks, right. everybody. Thank you, hey guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.